book of Colossians chapter 4. We're looking at at verses 2 through 4 this morning. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 985. I've entitled today's message, Praying for Gospel Success. And as always, I'll begin our time in a word of prayer, and then we'll consider the passage together. Let's pray. Our Lord, as always, we are grateful to gather together as a church family today. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we enjoy as brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your word read to us and to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to you. And we thank you for the book of Colossians and for the series we've been able to work through together. Lord, we pray for those who are away today. Many are are sick. Others uh, were held back because of the weather. Lord, would you bless them? Would you keep them safe? Would you bring them back to full strength again, Lord, those who are sick? And Lord, might this be a, a good time for us here in person and online as we rally around your word together. Lord, teach us to become people of prayer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like any good book, the book of Colossians has an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. And today's passage brings us to the concluding section of this book. As the Apostle Paul begins to wrap up his book, he turns to the subject of prayer. Now, what exactly is prayer? Well, the hymn writer Isaac Watts offers a good definition. He says, quote, Prayer is the address of a creature on earth to God in heaven. It is the conversation which God allows us to maintain with him above while we are here below. It's that language in which the creature communicates with his creator and in which the soul of a saint often gets near to God and, as it were, dwells with his heavenly Father for a short time before he comes to heaven. So I really like that definition. He's saying there that prayer is the means by which a believer communes with God before we see him face to face in heaven. And the scriptures show us that there's no one way to pray. And so prayers can be offered silently in our hearts. They can also be offered aloud with our tongues. Prayers can be offered in the privacy of our homes or in public settings like a church gathering. There are many different kinds of prayers that we can offer. There are prayers of adoration, where we praise God for His attributes and His works. There are prayers of confession, in which we acknowledge our sins to God. There are prayers of thanksgiving, in which we thank God for all of His gifts to us. And there are prayers of petition, in which we express our righteous desires to God. And the truly amazing thing about prayer is that God is pleased to use the prayers of his people to advance his purposes in the world. And so we read in James 5.16, quote, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So there is power in prayer. And the people of God are called to be people of prayer. In today's text, the Apostle Paul offers us some specific guidance on prayer, 
including how we ought to approach our prayer lives and what kinds of requests we ought to prioritize in prayer. So we'll begin with the first part there, how we should, should approach our prayer lives or, or how we should pray. Well, Paul tells us three things in today's text. First, he says we should pray with steadfastness. With steadfastness. We see that in verse 2. He begins, continue steadfastly in prayer. The NIV reads, devote yourselves to prayer. This means that God's people should put prayer at the very center of their Christian lives. Like we learn in Luke 18, 1, we should always pray and not give up. Or in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, we should pray without ceasing. See, the Christian life is supposed to be lived in constant communion with God. This is the great blessing that, that God secured for us through Christ. Bible says that once we were alienated from God, hostile in mind, but now he has brought us near through the blood of Christ. Christ has taken away our debt of sin. We are united to God now because of Christ. And we now have fellowship with God. And God desires fellowship with us. And prayer is one of the ways that we maintain that fellowship. Now, unfortunately, the cares of life often take us away from this great duty. Often I'll look at my own calendar in the morning and I'll think, wow, that's a really long to-do list. And so I will just jump right in, neglecting time in prayer. I wish my attitude was more like that of the German reformer, Martin Luther. Once he was asked about his plans for the following day and he answered this way, quote, Work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do, I shall have to spend the first three hours in prayer. Now that is a steadfast prayer life. So why is it so hard for us to be steadfast in prayer? Well, I already gave you my excuse. The busyness of life can cause us to neglect this duty. But you know, Jesus was really busy too. I think Jesus was busier than I am, and yet Jesus had plenty of time for prayer. Sometimes he spent entire nights in prayer. If prayer was important for Jesus, surely it's important for all of us. We can't make busyness an excuse. Now, I know that some others have very kinetic personalities, meaning you, you're constantly on the go, you don't like to hold still for any length of time, and so that makes prayer very difficult. Well, did you know that you can pray while you're on the move? You can pray while you're at work. You can pray while you're waiting in, in line at the grocery store. You can pray when you are stuck in traffic on the highway. You can pray at all different times. And then maybe just once per week, you could discipline yourself to get alone, pull out that prayer list, and then spend some extended time in, in private prayer. But maybe just once a week, and the rest of the time, you can be praying as you move. Know that others don't want to pray because they just question the usefulness of prayer. Maybe you're in that category. Maybe you have prayed for something really hard for years and years, and it just hasn't happened. Or maybe you prayed for something a long time and you got exactly the opposite of what you wanted. So you wonder if prayer has any efficacy at all. 
Well, I think we need to remember, friends, that God does not promise to give us everything that we ask for in prayer. After all, he is a lot bigger and a lot smarter and a lot wiser than all of us. And sometimes he knows that the request that we are making is not the best request for promoting our own spiritual health, promoting the advancement of Christ's church, or for promoting his own glory. So sometimes he will take our prayer requests and he will, he will hear them and he will respond to them, just not the way that we asked. And it's good that God should do this. One thing that God does promise is that he will use our prayers to accomplish his good purposes in our lives and in his church and in the world. And that, my friends, is an exciting thought. To think that that God has given us the privilege of participating in his plans for the world by means of prayer. So let us not neglect the duty of prayer. So we should pray steadfastly. But then secondly, we see we should pray with watchfulness too. Back to verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Now this word means to be awake or to be alert. It's like a soldier who's on guard duty at a forward operating base. You are fully engaged on your task. What's really interesting is that this word is most often used in Scripture in relation to the second coming of Christ. We're encouraged to be watchful in light of his any moment return. And so, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, after a very lengthy discussion of the second coming, the Apostle Paul says this, quote, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And then in Revelation chapter 3, it says, Wake up! If you will not wake up, I, Christ, will come like a thief. And in Revelation 16, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Okay, there's our word, watchful. It's to stay awake. And here in Colossians chapter 4, in the context of prayer, I think the Apostle Paul is saying this, that as we go to the task of prayer, we need to be to be going to God with minds fully engaged and with a sense of urgency about the task. It's understanding the weightiness of what we are about to do as we go to God in prayer, understanding the times in which we are living in, times of great peril, times when when Christ could come at any moment, in a time when there is a lot for the church still to do. And so we go with eyes wide open, fully alert, and and feeling urgent about what we're going to do, and then praying to God in that mindset. And so we must not be lethargic in our prayer lives. We must not live as if we've got all the time in the world. No, we don't know how many days we have, but we do know that the task is great. So let's be awake as we pray. Pray with steadfastness. Pray with watchfulness. Then we see a third instruction here. Let's pray with thankfulness. He writes, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. Now, this has been a major theme in the book. Thankfulness came up in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. 
and in 2.7, in 3.15, in 3.17, and now in 4 verse 2. To be a Christian is to breathe the oxygen of prayer. Because all that we are and all that we have comes from God. And we understand that it's a grace from God that we can approach Him in prayer. And it's a further grace that He commits to hearing and responding to our prayers. And so in all of our prayer, we must, we must be, be soaked in gratitude for the opportunity. So friends, we must pray steadfastly. We must pray with watchfulness. We must pray in a spirit of gratitude. But then... What kinds of requests should we make in prayer? Well, that takes us to verses 3 and 4 of our text. Here the Apostle Paul asks the church of Colossae to pray for him. And as we look at the requests that Paul makes here, we see what Paul's priorities were in prayer. This gives us guidance as to what our own priorities should be. Remember, the Apostle Paul once said, Follow me as I follow Christ. So let's look at his priorities in prayer and then let us seek to mimic those priorities. The apostle makes three requests here. He says, first, verse 3, pray for us, talk about himself and his associates, pray for us, number one, that God may open to us a door for the word. So there's our first request. Open doors. This is a metaphor for access, having access. Pray to God that he will give us access to people, that he would give us access into their lives so that we will have the opportunity to minister the word to them. When the COVID pandemic first hit, every traditional outreach ministry of our church was shut down. There was going to be no community door hanger distribution. There was going to be no big Easter service. In fact, on Easter Sunday, that first pandemic year, it was just me and Matt Domzik and a camera right in front of the pulpit. That was it. Everything was shut down to us. And so many of us had to start praying, God, open new doors for us. The old doors are shut off. Throw something new open. Give us, give us new, never-before-possessed access into people's lives. Boy, did God answer that request. First, God gave us a column in the local newspaper. That's something that I've been dreaming of for, for years, but it was just never able to happen. But then the pandemic hit, and God opened that door, and we walked right through it. The editor of the newspaper said, Two articles a month. Can you do that? And we said, absolutely, we can do that. And those articles have had a profound gospel impact. Occasionally, we get messages left on our phone here at the church from people saying, hey, just read your article. Wanted you to know I really appreciated it. Once I got a call from a woman in Florida who subscribes to the advisor. She read an article, and she asked if she could use it in her Sunday school lesson. Other times, I know some of our church members have, have invited friends and coworkers to our church, and as soon as the member says what the name of the church is, the person replies, oh yeah, you're the church that has the articles in the newspaper. 
There have been other times when I've made visits to hospice patients and they've got the newspaper open to the article that I wrote. And they said, oh, I was just reading this before you showed up. Hey, that was helpful. That's, an, that's access to people's lives that we didn't have before. That's an open door like what Paul's talking about. And then later on in the pandemic, I got a phone call from the South Michigan Food Bank. This was not an opportunity I was even considering. But the food bank called us and they said, listen, the pandemic and all the lockdowns and those things have caused a major uptick in food insecurity in this town. And they said, we need to find another distribution center for our food. Can your church help us? I said, I hope so. So I talked to Pastor Scott and I talked to the deacons and we were unanimous that we ought to do this. And the Lord provided us with grant funding, and then he provided us with the food through the food bank. All we needed were the volunteers to distribute it. And God gave us a strong team of people for that. And now every single month, for months and months now, we've been distributing meat and eggs and vegetables and bread and milk to families in our community. Depending on the month, anywhere from 50 to 100 families. And along with those, those um, grocery items, we also give them invitations to our church. We give them brochures because they don't just need physical bread. They also need the bread of life. So we bring them into the, to the church property and, and we say, thank, thank you for coming. Please accept this food from us and please accept this invitation for the bread of life, Jesus Christ. It's an amazing open door that we didn't have before. Then about six months ago, I got an email from someone in human resources at Oakland Hospital, another uh, opportunity I was not pursuing. They came to me and they said, uh, hey, I'd like to uh, get together with you and one other pastor for a brief meeting. Would that be okay? And I said, absolutely. So we, we got together for a meeting and this person from HR said, we've got about a thousand staff members at Oaklawn." And they've been going through this pandemic for a year now, and they're totally burned out. We've got people that are, you know, calling off more, more frequently. They're obviously in emotional distress. We think it would be a really good idea to bring some chaplains in here to start ministering to our staff. One chaplain for day shift, one for night shift. They said, would you guys, would you be interested in that, me and one other pastor? And we said, absolutely. So I took day shift, he took nights. And now every Thursday morning for the last six months, I've gone over to Oakland Hospital and I've made my rounds. And the opportunities there have been incredible. I've been able to form friendships with believers and non-believers alike. We've had some really productive conversations. A couple of weeks ago, I had an hour lunch with one of the staff members. Just this past week, I got to be like Santa Claus and go into the critical care unit of the hospital. That's where all the COVID patients are treated. And I went into the critical care unit with a a bag full of Lifesavers candy, because these guys are Lifesavers, and with uh, gift certificates to Ella's Cafe. That's That's the cafe on campus at Oaklawn. And then I took invitations to our church and my own personal business card, because it's got my cell phone and my email on it. And I went to every staff member inside critical care, and I handed them a packet with all this stuff in it. I said, our church just wants to thank you for how you've taken care of us this past year. 
and we want to give this to you, and if there's anything more we can do, please let us know. That was a lot of fun to do, and it was well-received. A couple hours later, one of the staff members from Critical Care came into the chapel where I was seated and just started unloading all of their problems on me, and they asked if, if I could pray for them, and I was glad to do so. My friends, these are the kinds of things that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. When he says, pray for me and my associates, that God would open doors for the ministry of the word. That's what he means. Give us access to people that we would not otherwise have. When we pray that prayer, look at the doors that God opened for our church. And you know, it isn't just for church either. It's for each one of us as individuals. We should all be praying, God, give me access to people so that I can minister the word to them. Tomorrow's Monday. Many of you will be going to work. Some of you will be going to school. Pray tonight before you go to bed. God, open a door for me tomorrow when I'm at work. When I'm in school, give me a person that I can talk to. I think God would be pleased to answer a a request like that. So we pray for open doors. But then secondly, you see in verse 3, we pray for gospel boldness. It says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. And now here's the purpose of the open door, to declare the mystery of Christ. And the word translated declare here means to fearlessly proclaim it. So God, please give us access to people. And then, would you please give me the courage to speak to them? Don't let me miss the opportunity you give. Pastor John MacArthur says this, quote, Christians are often like an Arctic river, frozen at the mouth. He's not wrong. We have a thousand excuses for why we won't talk about Christ with non-believers. But you know, they all come down to fear. We fear we're not going to say the right thing. We fear they're not going to take us seriously, and so we'll look like fools. We, we fear that they'll respond in hostility. We fear that maybe we'll get ourselves in trouble with HR. thousand excuses for keeping our mouth shut. And so we must pray, God, open a door for me and make me bold so that I will speak when that door is flung open. One pastor I know prays this way. He says, Lord, the joy that I feel after I've shared the gospel with somebody? Help me to feel that same feeling before I've shared the gospel with them. Take away all the fear and just let me feel the joy and excitement of it before I've even done it, because then I'll rush into the opportunity and I'll talk to them about Christ. Friends, that's a great prayer. That's a prayer for boldness. Then you notice the second part of verse 3. Paul says, that I may declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Did you know that the Apostle Paul was in prison as he wrote the book of Colossians? He was imprisoned in Rome. And he was not there because of any wrong that he had done. He was in prison because he was an apostle of Christ. And he had enemies who wanted to shut the opportunities down for him. But Paul understood something about God. 
He understood that God can open doors no matter where we are. And so even though he is locked away in a Roman cell, he says, pray for me that God would fling a door for gospel ministry open and that I, though I've been imprisoned already for speaking of Christ, that I would still be bold and keep talking about him. God can spread the gospel. He can build his church even in the most unlikely places. And he allows us to to do that work with him. Betty Miller is such an inspiration to me. Some of you know her. She's a charter member of Grace Baptist Church. But for many, many years now, she's been a shut-in. She's in a nursing home in Sturgis. And a while back now, several months ago, she got in touch with me by phone and she said, "Um, Pastor, I'm trying to minister the word to somebody here, but they've got questions that I just don't have the answers to. So could you take down my questions? Could you type out answers and then mail it to me so I know what to say? I said, I would love to do that, Betty. So she gave me the questions. I wrote them down. And then I took some time to give nice, full, typewritten answers to to all of those questions. And then I mailed it off to Betty. Well, less than a week later, she called me back and she said, Pastor, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, tell me. She said, "I, I got your letter in the mail. Immediately, I went to the office there in the nursing home, started running off copies. I made 10 copies. While I was running copies, I ran into a staff member at the nursing home. She saw what that was and was interested, so I gave her a copy. She was so interested by the answers that she next went online and looked up our church. Then she found our live stream and started listening to our our live stream. And then she said, I took the rest of these copies. I gave them to my family members. I mailed them off to friends. They went all over the place. She said, and people are calling to talk more about it. I thought, that is incredible. That's what Paul was praying for. Give me an open door. Betty got an open door. Then give me the boldness to take advantage of it. Well, she did that. And look at the result. Even from her place in a nursing home, gospel truths were able to go out to a dozen people, maybe two dozen people now. Some of them may believe and join a local church. Valida, too, is another great example Valita is another one of our shut-ins. She's the wife of Arnold, too. She's been um, kind of confined to her home for years and years now. Well, just this past week, she was at the Henry Ford Hospital in Metro Detroit. She, she had a brain hemorrhage. She's home now. But while she was there in her hospital bed at Henry Ford, a young male nurse overheard her talking about the Lord. And out of curiosity, he went in there and he said, um, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty new believer. So's my wife. I've got a lot of questions. Could you answer them for me? And Valida said, I'm not sure if I can answer your questions, but I'll sure try. So he pulled up a seat, sat down beside her, and they had an extended conversation about basic Christian teachings. Friends, it doesn't matter if you are in a jail cell or in a nursing home or in a hospital room. If you pray for open doors and then you pray for boldness to speak, God will use you 
in amazing ways. In fact, I wonder how much more success the Church of Christ would have in the world if we stopped praying all the time for health and wealth and we just started to pray for open doors and boldness. Would not God be pleased to build His church if all of His people were praying like that? And then we see another request here, verse 4. Pray for gospel clarity. He says, pray that I may make it clear. That is, make my gospel communication clear. That means, God, would you give me the right words to say in the right order? So that the people I am speaking to will understand the amazing offer that God is making to them through Christ. Don't let me miss anything that I need to say to that person. That's what this prayer request is. You know, friends, the gospel message is the most incredible story in the world. It's a story that begins with God, this Infinite, eternal, all-powerful, all-holy, all-wise being. Who, just as, as, the, as coming from the overflow of his own personal joy and happiness, decided to create the universe. And that's what the universe is. It is the external manifestation of the internal happiness and beauty and wisdom and knowledge of God. And he created a little planet called Earth, and he made it a perfect paradise. It reflected him. It was orderly, and it was beautiful, and it was free of sin and sickness and sadness. Then he put a little garden on this planet called Eden. Then he created a man and a woman, our first parents, called Adam and Eve. And he placed them in the garden and he gave them this this wonderful task that under his lordship, they would exercise responsible stewardship over the world he had just made. And they would have happy fellowship with God and they would be at harmony with each other and with all of creation. Well, we know how that story turned out. One day... Adam and Eve, exercising their free wills, decided that they no longer wanted to be under the lordship of the God of heaven. And so they deliberately did that which God had forbade. And that was sin. That choice corrupted their very souls so that now they had sinful natures. And all their progeny after them, that means all of humanity, then came under the curse of sin. Every last one of us now is a sinner by nature and by choice. This has separated us from the God who who loves us, who made us the God of holiness. It has put us on a trajectory toward hell. That is the ultimate fate of all those separated from the God of life. But you know, God continued to love this world even after it plunged under the cloud of sin. And he loved us so much that right after Adam and Eve committed that act of rebellion, God was already there right away, covering their shame with new clothes and promising them that he would send a Savior 
And he would take care of their sins. And he would restore fellowship again. And he told them, you just repent of what you've done. You believe in me. You hang on to that promise. And everything's going to be okay. Generation after generation, God reaffirmed the promise to his people. Until finally in the first century, that promise was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's eternal Son, now come robed in human flesh. Perfect God, perfect man, all in the one being of Christ. Christ was the solution to humanity's problem. His coming was an act of love. And through his life, he merited the perfect righteousness that no one of us ever could. And through his death on the cross, he made a full and all-sufficient atonement for our sins. And then, once his work was complete, he rose from the dead, proving his victory over death and sin and hell. And then he was exalted to the right hand of God. And now he extends this invitation to all. He says, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Which means, come to me with your repentance and your faith. You bank it all on me and the promises that I've made, and you will have life. Hell is no longer your fate. You will be with God in heaven. Your slate will be clean. More than that, you'll have a positive righteousness given to you as a gift through faith in Christ. And he tells us to do this because it's very serious. He's fixed a day in which he will judge the living and the dead. And our response to this gracious offer will determine our fate on that day. Everyone who responds to that message becomes a part of the church of Christ, which is the new humanity. The humanity he is rebuilding from the ashes of all that we have have done, from the ashes of our brokenness and sin. He's remaking us. He's causing us to become as we were meant to be. He's making us like his son, Jesus Christ. Every local church is a visible manifestation of this new humanity that Christ is building. So the Apostle Paul prays, God, open doors for me so I can minister the word. As soon as they fly open, help me to be bold so I take advantage of it. And then when I speak, help me to speak clearly. Help me to get every part right so that they can understand the offer that's being made to them from God through Christ. And then he adds this at the end of verse 4, which is how I ought to speak boldly and clearly. That's how the gospel ought to be shared. Friends, we ought not to try accommodating the gospel message to the cultural fashions of our day. We ought not to share only the popular parts of the message to the neglect of the unpopular parts. We ought not to talk about heaven and not talk about hell. We ought not to present the gospel to people as some kind of a self-help program or as some kind of a solution to everyone's felt needs. We ought not to make false promises of health and wealth to them as we offer the gospel. No, our job is to communicate the gospel exactly as it has been handed down to us in the scriptures. Nothing left out 
exactly as it has been presented to us. And friends, it changed our lives, did it not? And it changed every generation that came before us. It will change more lives still if we're faithful to the message. Now, friends, as I bring this sermon to a close, the Apostle Paul begins the conclusion of his book with a call to prayer. He calls us to approach our prayer lives in the right manner, to pray steadfastly and watchfully and with thankfulness in our hearts. Then he shows us the kinds of, of requests that we should prioritize in our prayer lives. Pray for open doors. Pray for gospel boldness. Pray for gospel clarity. And implied in all of these requests is that we desire to see the church of Christ advance. We want to see Christ made great in this world. We want him praised and worshipped. We want lives transformed. We want sins forgiven. And so this is what we pray for. Now, is there room in our prayer lives for other kinds of requests? Oh, absolutely. The scriptures give us other prayers that show us other kinds of requests. But I think the scriptures also teach us that this should be our priority, the name and fame of Christ, the growth of his church, the glory of God, and that God would be so gracious as to allow us to participate in this great work. And with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Father, you've given us a model for prayer in today's text. Help us, Lord, to embrace this model. Help us to put at the front end of our prayer lists requests for gospel boldness and clarity, requests for access to people's lives, requests for your spirit to come down among us and to change those hard hearts so the people would trust in your Son. Let this be the the heartbeat of our church. Let this be the desire of every individual heart within it. Lord, this is the year 2022. Use our church to advance the gospel this year. Help us to be a people of prayer this year. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.